You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, I'm Dana Henschel, and I'm the Outreach Coordinator for Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. So you have been named the executor of someone's will. Now what? Today, partner and certified elder law attorney, Barbara McGinnis, is answering all of your questions. Welcome, Barbara. Good morning, Dana. So as an executor of someone's will, um, what are your responsibilities? And can those responsibilities differ depending on what is outlined in the will? I guess truly the extent of the responsibilities would be different depending on what assets would pass through um, the will or the probate process. But the responsibilities are essentially the same. I mean, some of the things, um, you can pull up long lists of executor responsibilities if if you look through it, but it kind of boils down to you're making sure that the estate is, one, administered appropriately and settled and distributed appropriately. And you're doing that under the supervision of the probate court. Now, some counties have uh, a designated probate court. Uh, Some just do it in chancery court, meaning the judge does many things other than probate, Um, Some counties like Davidson County in Tennessee, they have um, an intricate probate court system. All right, so what are you going to do? Some of the first things you're going to do is actually collect and protect that important estate documentation. So, yes, that's certainly the will, a trust, a deed, um, multiples, if it's a very complicated estate, uh, securing that the that the funeral or the burial of the decedent has happened um, according to their wishes, and then you start finding other documents. Right? Um, interesting. A document that is not necessarily important or valid any longer is the power of attorney document. Now, I'm not saying go throw it away because you you might have to. Uh, you're not going to use it any longer, but you might prove that it was valid and used during the, uh, the, the lifetime of the decedent. All right, you're going to get a death certificate after the funeral. Um, you're going to be keeping track of expenses related to the estate because you may have assets that you're having to continue to um, protect. You know, if, if the decedent owned a farm and there is livestock on the farm, you're going to have to continue to take care of all of that. Um, There's a house. It has to be protected. You might want to secure um, who goes in and out of the house. It still needs to have utilities paid. And you may have limited access to bank accounts at this point in time, depending on how the bank accounts were titled during the life uh, of the 
the decedent. You may have access to that money. You may not. So uh, this, this is often a challenge for executors. Once you gather all that information, then you're going to secure the assistance of an attorney most likely. Is it required by state law to have an attorney can uh, assist you in the probate process? No, it's not, but it is, um, it is good practice. It is a best practice because it is difficult and detailed and you can um, run afoul, right? So you, the attorney is going to prepare the documents you need to take to the probate court and it's called a petition, and we're really proving the will. Um, and if the decedent didn't have a will, well, <clears throat> that's when we rely on the state's uh, statute of intestate succession. So anyway, we need authority, and that's what the probate court does. So I think a lot of people have the misconception that you only go to probate if you don't have a will. But that is a, that's a myth, correct? It is a myth. I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people do think that if they have a will that spells out their wishes, that that uh, keeps them out of the probate court. And that's very much not true. A will is designed, is intended to be uh, probated or authenticated uh, by the court. And that's really what we're doing when we get started. We're taking the will to the court and proving that it is the last will and testament desires of the decedent. And the executor is swearing that they are going to administer the estate under the terms of the will. Right. And how do you know? I mean, some people, I'm sure, keep the will in the lockbox or maybe, you know, under the mattress. How do you know where the will is and if it is the last will? I guess that's where communication with your family is key, right? It is essential. Of course, um, we try to make it easier for our clients because we help put the, the originals in a binder. We give them contact information. We retain copies. That's just not always the case for folks. Yeah, so sometimes it is a bit of a mystery. So, you may not want to be too quick to run to probate court to make sure you have done a thorough search and you've not found any uh, anything contrary to um, the original will in hand. Of course, you do have to have the death certificate as well. Um, the will may say who the uh, intended beneficiaries of the estate will be. Um, but the executor is probably going to is going to have to help the attorney create uh, a next of kin list. All right. So what am I talking about? Well, let's say I die, and I am I am not married. I have one biological child. <clears throat> so my next of kin is my child. Uh, my parents are both deceased. Um, so that's pretty straightforward, but my will may not, may identify additional beneficiaries of my estate. So all of that information has to be put forth before the court, and that's information that they're going to, they're, they're going to want to know. And then the other responsibilities of an executor, you're going to be a determining date of death value of some assets, particularly on highly appreciated assets like real estate. What was the property worth at the date of death? Um, 
How much is the total estate worth? Very few of our clients actually have a taxable estate. So that's not really what we're, what we're looking for um, because Tennessee does not have an estate tax and federally the uh, death tax or estate tax is $12.92 million per person. So very few people have taxable estates that we work with, but you still need to know these and it mostly has to do with tax bases. Well, this sounds like an awful lot of work. (laughs) And can an executor resign from a position after the fact? I mean, I actually spoke with a lady the other day, and she was named executor of a relative's estate, and she just didn't want to do it. She didn't have time to do it, the desire to do it, or the knowledge to do it. Yes, you can resign. Now, if if the testator, the will maker is still alive and you decide you don't want to serve as their executor, you need to let them know so they can do a will revision. But if you decide this after the fact, when the petition's being put forth to the court, you can say, I decline. You can turn in, the attorney can turn in documents to the court saying that the named executor passes. Oftentimes, there is a successor. So, again, another best practice that there is a successor executor named in the will. Um, And if that person can serve, that's awesome. Maybe there's another relative. If there's just not anybody, the court will appoint someone. And it's very likely that they would appoint another attorney, Uh, almost assuredly not the attorney that's opening the probate of the will, but another attorney. So there's always going to be somebody that could serve. Um, It may not be who you would have chosen as the, as the testator, but there's going to be someone you can, like you said, it is a job and I don't think people realize how big of a job it can be depending on the size of the estate. So you can take a fee. Um, Sometimes in the will itself, it says how much they want the executor to receive, perhaps a percentage of the estate or um, a set dollar amount. Sometimes they just leave it sort of open-ended that a fee can be uh, requested from the court. And under statute, it's, it's more like what's reasonable. And um, some thought and guidance could go into that from your attorney about what would be a reasonable fee. Definitely, you're going to want all your expenses to be paid. And that's really a big thing, making sure that the expenses of the estate are paid. That's why you have to inventory the assets to know how much money are you dealing with so that you can pay all the potential creditors. Um, Super creditors... Uh, you might want to think, though, the ones that take priority, um, <clears throat> lawyer fees, incidentally, uh, as part of the administration of the estate expense, funeral expenses, taxes, um, so IRS liens, and uh, 10 care liens. So those are like your top four. Other creditors get paid either known creditors, you have to notice creditors as part of the probate process. If you're an executor, you would report that to your attorney's office that you've hired to help you with the administration process. 
letters get sent out. And so the whole creditor process is really a big deal with, uh, with probating an estate. It's part of the reasons that probate is done is to cut off these claims of creditors and to make sure that people are paid fairly. So if you had power of attorney, but of course that isn't, uh, it doesn't work anymore now that the person has passed, your power of attorney document goes away as well. And if your name wasn't anywhere on the bank, how do you get funds to front the cost of this? Is that something that comes from you as the executor? Different ways. It can happen different ways, right? But until you, when you have the estate open, then you can open an estate account and you can start transferring what was previously frozen um, assets into the estate account. So you had a checking account just in the name of the decedent. You get probate open. So now you can open it. You have authority. You can open an estate account and transfer those funds. But in the interim, you may be putting things on uh, credit. You may just, the funeral home may uh, know that they will get paid when the estate is opened, but they may not be paid immediately. Same with the legal fees. Uh, utilities, <coughs> you may have to pay some of these utilities out of pocket until an estate account can be opened and uh, assets administered. Wow. Well, it sounds very complicated. And if you make um, an honest mistake as an executor, could you face legal charges if you do something incorrectly? Um, about the well, yes, you could, but not if it were not if it was um, innocent. <laughs> innocent. I guess it depends on the nature. One thing that what I'm getting at is. If there are limited assets in an estate, be sure that as an executor, you are not distributing out to the named beneficiaries in the will until all the claims of creditors have been settled. So that if you make a premature distribution and then you come short for your creditors, you could be personally responsible for those debts. Now, that's that's a fairly easy mistake to make, but it's also a fairly easy mistake to avoid. You just have to tell these beneficiaries to sit tight until you're, you know, it's it's time. They will eventually get their inheritance. Some people are a little more um, anxious to receive those funds than others, but tell them to sit tight. Um, you know, I guess mistakes. That's part of why it's good to have legal representation or why it's essential to have legal representation, understanding um, your creditor claims, who's going to get paid, what if you have to prorate the, the payments, um, how do I respond to these anxious heirs and beneficiaries. Um, you got a particular mistake in mind you want to well, toss out there? Well, it just sounds like a, a complicated process. And for someone whose brain doesn't work that way necessarily, who isn't very detail-oriented, I would be concerned just about making a mistake. And I think some people are, you know, it's a large responsibility. So I guess that's why it's important that you 
while you're creating this, that you don't choose someone at random (laughs) to be your executor. It's a a very big decision. So you should have conversations with that person. Yeah, that can just really couldn't be stressed enough that you have conversations with them. Give your executor a, you know, a chance. Tell them where, where assets are. You may not need to tell them how much is in bank accounts, but at least give them a heads up. I've got, you know, accounts at Edward Jones, or I've got accounts at, um, you know, this or that bank. I've got life insurance. Organizing yourself as a person certainly makes anyone acting as your fiduciary's job and life easier, whether you're talking about them serving as your power of attorney or after death serving as your executor, being organized, being transparent. You know, even our planning workbook helps helps people organize their assets. It gives us a starting point to to know where to look for assets. Wow. Well, are there any other tips that you want to give our listeners today about either choosing an executor or being an executor before we wrap up today's episode? Well, a lot of times people do talk about wanting to uh, minimize probate or uh, eliminate probate uh, as something that they have their loved ones face and probably the easiest way or the most confident way to do that would be through the use of a living trust um, that can certainly avoid probate and make it easier on your, uh, your loved ones left behind. Wonderful. I think that's a great tip. And I also think just listening to you today that getting an expert to guide you through this process is always highly recommended. It may seem like a lot of money on the front end, but it's going to save so much money on the back end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Dana. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 